You're listening to What's the Story podcast, brought to you by Fitzpatrick Castle Hotel. Go to www.fitzpatrickcastle.com for more. Hello everybody and welcome to WTS. My name is Danny Murray. I'm Graham Merrigan. How are you, kid? Good. Feeling good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You still responding to Kid and Chief? Is that still a thing? <laughs> Is it? No, it's Pal and Chief. I, I thought it was Kid because people who are younger than you call you Kid. But yeah. it's Kid, Pal and Chief. I'm Pal. Yeah. I didn't know about Pal, but now I do. Sometimes it's Pal. Yeah, alright, okay. Um, do you know what it is, though? It's when, it's when they write it in text and then they wouldn't say it when you kind of go like if I said to you in a text alright chief what are you up there how are you chief yeah and then if I meet you in person oh how are things I'd go oh how are things Dan I wouldn't yeah. say oh how are things chief I don't know it depends actually you know what I'm, a, I'm an absolute whore for doing this if I can't remember the person's name alright boss alright chief oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah all the time all the time if I can remember well, the I'm name I'm just saying man alright man what's crack yeah yeah sometimes I do say man as well but I'm my uh, uncle's starting to call me chief a bit more yeah I wonder if it's because he's listening to this I was going to say I, I think people who listen to this will hopefully start calling you chief they will and annoy pal me. and kid and Johnny. annoy me yeah. in the eye go you're going to tap and alright chief alright chief um, man, where are we coming from this week my friend from the Fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel Colony. Yes, we are. In East Ballybrack. Indeed. The most luxurious part of Ballybrack, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, home to the wild Ballybrack spotted dingo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's only about four. That's fox? Uh, a fox with mange. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well. You know. But Australian tourism goes through the roof when you tell them it's a spotted dingo. All right. So... <laughs> We'll yeah. keep it at that. We will indeed. If you want to learn more about this beautiful nature habitat that is Fitzpatrick Castle Hotel, you can go to www.fitzpatrickcastle.com for more. Um, yeah, so this week, yeah. Graham, we are talking to a gentleman what directs documentaries and movies, and he is from that arts area of the world. Yeah, and he's from California and um, the United States of America. Lives in California. But lives he's, there, sorry, he's from Pittsburgh. He's from Pittsburgh, yeah. Uh, John Keane is his name, and uh, he was an absolute gent to talk to. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Um, this is your guest. Yeah, yeah. Basically how this came about was, um, as I bring up on pretty much every episode of the podcast ever, I like to go down <laughs> rabbit holes, and I had just finished a book by a guy called Anthony Beaver yeah and um, he writes brilliant 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 history books especially around World War 2 I think he has a new one out just now anyway that's besides the point um, it was Ardennes 1944 is the name of the book great book if you're into history books couldn't recommend it enough and it kind of put me down a, a rabbit hole of World War 2 stuff again and that led me to watch a documentary about Auschwitz and after that documentary I went just Googling stuff about Auschwitz, and I found this documentary called Swimming at Auschwitz. And I was like, what's that? So decided, all right, it's free to watch. Might as well watch it. Yeah. So I watched it, and I really, really enjoyed it. And then I was like, oh, that was mad. I wonder, like, I'd never seen any of that footage. I'd never, you know, so Googled it a bit more and found out about John, the guy who made it. And turns out he actually, did, did, Swimming at Auschwitz was made in 2007, mm. or it came out in 2007, rather. And I watched it maybe three or four weeks ago and as it turns out I'm watching it just as he's releasing a follow-up documentary to it called After Auschwitz brilliant so I decided do you know what 
I'm going to reach out to this gentleman and yeah. ask him to come on our podcast, what is a multi-award-winning media-type situation. Outlet. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and finally get your way and get an Auschwitz to Yeah, talk I was going to say, it. finally, after badgering you for what is essentially 148 episodes, yeah. <laughs> you finally let me do a World War II episode. Well, hopefully we'll talk to him about Auschwitz. We can talk to him about the current situation in America as well. Well, this is it, because there's parallels, isn't there? Mm. You know? Absolutely. And not just in, in America, but I suppose in various places around the world. But mm. yeah, there's it's happening all over and it's, the history's repeating itself all the time. Yeah. Which is which is which is fucking frightening, man. It is frightening. It's like, frightening that we're allowing leaders to do this. Yeah, and that other leaders don't have the cojones to step up and be like, no. what's going on here is it's all about money and it's all about profit, so they don't care. Yeah, and it's very much you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back and kind of, you know, they, they, I hate this political language where they'll come out and condemn something without ever condemning it. Mm. You know, they'll come out and they'll say things uh, like, you know, this this administration doesn't agree what is happening, blah, blah, blah. But nobody will ever come out and say, that's wrong. Yeah, nobody will what, what you're doing is absolutely wrong and we're now going to, you know, take action again. They'll take action against steel trade or you know international trade or finance or whatever yeah. but they'll never actually be like you know what right that's it we're, we're drawing the line here and what you're doing is fucking shit so absolutely and there's always the issue with refugees but like the, the countries that have put these human beings into the situation of a refugee status it's their fault that they have become refugees and then they don't want to know them and they don't want to allow them into their country yeah it's baffling yeah like you know. how how me, how I can, how I can just voice that rhetoric there and make sense. Yeah. But the leaders don't. They're obviously ignoring yeah. it. Politics, man, isn't it's it? It's all politics. It's all bullshit. It is. Anyway, we'll get to this interview. We will. And some of this kind of comes up with John, which is yeah. kind of nice. And we'll, um, we'll try, because we're living or we're talking during yeah. the World Cup, we might even get that in as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because America are having a smashing time at the World <laughs> Cup in Russia, of course. John Keane, here we go. John Keane is our guest this week, the man behind new documentary after Auschwitz. And uh, the first kind of, I suppose the, the prequel or the first part of that, Swimming at Auschwitz, came out over 10 years ago. Uh, John, congratulations on that. I watched it recently and uh, really enjoyed it. I suppose, tell us how you, how you got, what led you to make these documentaries um uh, well, well thanks guys first of all it's great to be with you i'm re- really excited to have a chance to talk with you guys um i got into holocaust documentaries really for fame and money um <laughs> honestly i was i was working i worked as a writer uh in, in hollywood i was writing films and directing and i had a, a deal set up at disney and it just dissolved in the worst possible ways i had a little minor breakdown and i said i need to work on something that matters so I made this first film, Swimming in Auschwitz. You know, I started working on it almost 15 years ago. And um, it just sort of led me down this path. I got really fascinated by the stories. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a crazy thing. It's like 15 years later, I work in Holocaust education. I work in documentary. I've been lucky enough to travel to Africa and work with uh, work with survivors in Rwanda. And there's so many There's so many great human stories in the world. And, you know, I love comedy, but, you know, this <laughs> this has a little more meaning to it. Yeah. So that, that's sort of how it got me there. I didn't mean to do it. It just took me there. That's Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And it, I suppose it is one now. Like, 
I don't know, Irish people, I think, have this whole thing of finding humour and everything, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to, to you know, talk lightly around a topic like this, but as, as you've just done there... You, the first film, I mean, you saw the first film. The first film was supposed to be laugh, it was supposed to be about laughter as a survival tool mm. in concentration camps. Yeah. Like, how people stay human in the most inhuman times. Like, not not to jump right into it, but you see what's happening in the world right now, at least my part of the world right now. I live in Southern California, three hours from Mexico, and you see these things, these horrific things that are happening. And at a certain point, you wonder if we've finally gotten to the point where we've stripped away humanity so much that there is no humor, mm. or that these people are trying to find a way to stay human. How do you stay human in such an inhuman time? And that's sort of what drives me. It's like I don't. I, it, I think it's fascinating that people can find a way to laugh. When they have, when they have had everything stripped away from them, it's 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 the most human instinct. Yeah, and and that was one of the things that that struck me watching swimming at Auschwitz. I, I can't remember which one of the the ladies said it, but she was describing what sounded like a pretty horrific moment where they basically where where the prisoners have been stripped of their dignity, they've been more or less mutilated, and she says they all kind of start laughing at each other because it was so strange to see each other like that. And I was like, laughter? That's not what I was expecting at all. Yeah, I know. And, and then and then you see the picture of it. Like, I, found, I actually found the picture where you see 200 women yeah. with shaved heads wearing dresses. And it's like, what else are you going to do? You're either going to collapse in a ball and, and sob for the next 18 hours, or you have to laugh at the absurdity of the whole thing. It, it's absurd. It's absurd what they were doing. Um, you, you, you've got two ways to go. And not to say you can always find humor in everything or comedy in everything. That's where you need friends. You need people to help you out. But at a certain point, our perspective really matters. We we can control a lot of our surroundings. Was there any challenges, John, in, in making the documentaries? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It, 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 it's impossible. It's impossible. Look, I have two children. Um, the two children took about nine months, give or take, to, to sort of go from beginning to, to creation. <laughs> documentaries, it takes about five years, six years for yeah. each project, not including the time working on it. It's brutal. Wow. It, 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 the process is brutal. It's exhausting. I don't know how people do it quickly. I, re I, I think maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's a better <laughs> way of doing it. But I don't know, man. It, it's really brutal. And nobody wants to give you money. Nobody wants to really do much for you. So it's you alone working. And you've got to have such belief in what you're working on to get through it. So you feel like you'll never get it over the line. Is that it? It never finishes. It's never done. Right. Because there's no there's no finish line. You could you could work on a documentary forever. You could at a certain point you just have to stop. And that's a really hard thing too, because it never ends. I could go in now to after Auschwitz and start tinkering with it again. I'm not going to, but I could. I like I want to. You never finish anything. It's a really weird, unsettled way of working. Like when you're doing a feature, you have a script, you know where you're going. With documentary, it's constantly evolving. So you started this in in what the the early two thousands, and which one? This one? Well, just the, the the entire the entire piece, I suppose. So like, Swimming with Auschwitz came out what two thousand and seven, two thousand seven, and then yeah. so and is it like two thousand and eighteen is when you've kind of finally wrapped up this sort of well, the, the, yeah. The, so what, you know, what, 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 what's your point, man? What's, what's your point? <laughs> I'm, I'm tripping, tripping around with the no, words, yeah. The idea, the idea for this movie, the idea for After Auschwitz came about 
while I was working on swimming in Auschwitz. The idea came about in 2003. So it took me 14 years from the idea of the film to the release of the film, wow. which would have been in spring of 2017. So, yeah. So, so it's like you think about things for so long and then you go do jobs where you get paid then you come back and you go work on it for a while. I mean, during the making of this film, three of my ladies died. There's six ladies in the film. Three of them passed away in the making of this film. So that changes how you do things. Then I can go back. You know, it, it changed how to go back and do do follow up interviews. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes. It, it's. Yeah, I, I really don't recommend it. If there's something <laughs> that you can do, I mean, seriously, like like be well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it took what nearly three times the length of World War Two itself, John. So I can't imagine it was, you know, an easy slog like. <laughs> With equal carnage, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so tell us, t- tell us. A no, little. but I got it. With that said, that said, it, it, it's so it, like it's it, it's creative. It's fun. You're going in and doing all this research, and you're trying to look at old films, and you're you're making discoveries. So when you do have these breakthroughs, it's re- it's a really wonderful way to work. It's just incredibly not easy. Yeah, like I mean, I I'm I hate saying I'm a fan of war. Like I I, I love history and and I'd read about World War Two all day long if I could. But at the same time, the the amount of archive footage in in this, I'd imagine, you must have got at least a pain in your ass sitting there going through everything over and over again. But what's amazing is that when I did the first film 15 years ago, everything was still on tape. You know, when I did this film, the, the, the like five years ago. Everything was digitized. So I'm calling the Imperial War Museum in London, and everything is digitized. I can search everything. Now, once that's over, I, I don't know what's going on with your museum in London there. It's not your museum. I apologize. I'll want I'll everybody to speak my accent together. Aren't you all England? Anyway. So they have... You, they you just lost the audience, John. <laughs> Hey, my last name's Keen, K-E-A-N. I can play Irish all day long. <laughs> I'm, I'm cousin Robbie. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but they, they have all their footage still on 35 and 16 millimeter film. Then they have to go to a lab and transfer it. I mean, it is so backwards what they're doing at that museum. But anyway. Yeah. It, it's like, it. but when you spend two weeks searching through Bergen-Belsen liberation footage, it is emotionally draining and exhausting. And the fact that these guys were filming it, that they're there with cameras filming these human beings after six years of degradation and just the camera, they did such brilliant work. It's incredible that we have such documentation of these events. Absolutely incredible, the work of these cameramen, the film crews. So tell us then a little, a little bit about After Auschwitz, because it's, it's been doing the, the rounds in some theaters o- over in America. How's it been getting on? We've done really well until that yeah, bitch Ruth Bader Ginsburg knocked us out of a lot of theaters. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding, Ruth. I love you dearly. <laughs> um, no, we were. We, it's been great. We were. We were. We were at about 28 different cities throughout the U.S. Um, audiences have been terrific. It's hard to get people to the theater to see a film with the word Auschwitz in the title, but this film is different. This film is about literally. It's about what happened next. It picks up at your free go home. These survivors were told, you're free, go home. So it's, the first act is all about life in Europe after the war and then coming to America. And it's how it's how we move on from trauma, how we move on from trauma to try to create a normal, meaningful, fulfilling life. And it's something we all can relate to. It's not 
so much a war movie. It's a movie about how we move forward after. So it's, it's really resonating. And look, I made this film. I finished the film before Trump was elected. So I didn't foresee the United States becoming what it has the past two years. But everything resonates in this film. Look at what's happening now, how we treat others, how we treat refugees. These people coming, look at Holocaust, look what we learned from the Holocaust. Look at ships being turned away in America, in Cuba, in Canada. Look at those stories and look what happened to those refugees when we sent them home. For the most part, they were killed. So look what's happening now. I mean, the, the fact that we haven't learned anything from history is, is mortifying. So this film is really that. This film is about what it means to move forward. But I just didn't expect it to be so timely. Well, that is bizarre, though, isn't it? But yeah, that it's it's almost like full circle in terms of what's happening now. It, it and 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 the lack of. I, I was looking at propaganda films. I was looking because this is what I do. Yeah. I was looking at propaganda films from '44, um, and how eerily similar they are to what my government is putting out now. Look at these facilities; they're really nice. Look, the boys have beds. Look, they have stuffed animals. Look, they're playing video games. Life is great. And it's a, it's a complete Potemkin village. The whole thing is, it, it's terrifying what is happening in, in this regard. And is it fair to, is it fair to put comparisons on it, John? Which? Is it fair to put comparisons on it? Because I have seen some people on the Republican side that kind of say uh, exactly what you just said there about stuffed animals and uh, computer consoles. So that, that, makes, yeah. that makes it okay. There was one moron who referred to it as summer camp. The biggest one was Jeff Sessions, the little elf uh, attorney general um, <laughs> of, of, of runs our Justice Department. He, had the, he, had, he said, this was a quote, he said, you can't make the comparison because what we're trying to do is keep people out of our country. What the Nazis were trying to do was to keep the Jews from leaving their country. That's what he said. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I would laugh at it, but it is so criminally stupid and dangerous. It's dangerous. Yeah. The lack of knowledge of history is dangerous. Be to say something like that? Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the comparisons are apt. Look, we have our media. We have media. We have the, the head of Homeland Security telling a group of police officers, don't listen to the press. Don't believe the press. It's I mean, yeah. There are a lot. Of, I'm not saying Trump is Hitler. I'm really not because Hitler at least had some artistic ability as a painter. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that there are similarities. There are they are they are breaking down the media. They are breaking down social norms. They are breaking down people's responses. They are repeating the lie over and over again until the lie becomes accepted. They are doing what happened in 1933 to 1939. Without without some of the, the the more horrific physical violence that was committed, but they're doing the same things. Just to kind of change gear, and just because I'm curious, there's been a bit of a, a muted coverage, kind of almost ignored about Trump essentially uh, launching Star Wars over there. What's the reaction being to, spa to Space Force being? No, the Star Force. Star Force. Yeah. Well, what's going on? I honestly think, I honestly think that he just keeps, my fear is that all this stuff is just distraction. It's noise and distraction while they break down certain things in our country 
you know, they've, they've already taken over the, the judicial system. They've, they've put all these judges into places in the state level, um, district level. They're doing all these things while we keep yelling about Trump and Star Force or Trump and, and, and everything else. I, I really think they're distracting us from what they're actually doing. And that's the biggest fear. Look at what's happening in trade. Look at what's, look at what's happening to the, to the world economy as all this is going on. Yeah. Look at what's happening with the, with human rights that we just dropped out of. There's so much. I don't know what you guys follow uh, there from what's happening here. There's so much happening on a daily basis. We cannot keep up. It's almost like you turn the news on. You're like, oh, my God, what's happening now? Yeah. It, 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 it's ridiculous. It's, you are physically unable, mentally unable to follow with what's going on. Star Force? You've got to be kidding me, Star Force. <laughs> but yet we, we, we keep hearing we of keep, our military. We keep, and then he says, because it's not enough to, to be the best in space, we have to dominate space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but we, we keep hearing he's going to be impeached as well, but when's that going to happen? That's not going to happen. Yeah. That's not going to happen. There's no way. The Republicans, look, the Republicans control both houses of government. He will not be impeached. There's, I mean, the hope is that he doesn't get reelected in two years. He might be here for another six years. It's possible. God. You have no idea how crazy my country is right now. <laughs> you, you have no idea. Are people genu- genuinely afraid? Um, I live in Southern California, so I'm pretty isolated where I am. But mm. yeah, I'm scared for the impact that this administration can have for the next 20 to 30 years. I'm scared that we are thousands of young people coming into our country who might stay in our country, who have been subjected to emotional and physical, basically torture, coming across our border. There's, but it, when when you suffer trauma, it manifests physically in your body. This is a fascinating topic that I do a little bit in the film from working on the film. When you suffer trauma, sometimes it manifests in your body. These kids are are physically scarred from what is happening to them, and now they are going to be part of society. How how do they move forward? Again, this is kind of what's in the film, but we are we are subjecting these kids to, to, to emotional and physical harm, and then they will then be living in this country. It's horrific. It is horrific. Like you look at the Middle East, because it's happening to young Palestinian children. There's no hope. When there's no hope and there's no reason for, 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 for working together or working forward, what's the point of anything? I mean, yeah, so there is a fear. I, I, I'm not afraid for my society. Like, we're not going to become, you know, Handmaid's Tale. I don't think we're there yet. But who the hell knows? You're saying you, you live in Southern California, John. So, I mean, you can basically see the wall as they build it brick by brick, I presume. Um, I'm three hours away. I'm about three hours north. Oh, okay. So, there's another couple of feet to be built before you'll be able to see it then. Um, <laughs> but, I mean... With all this kind of stuff that's going on, I mean, you're you're a couple hours north of, of the border, then. With all these detention centers and and all the, the 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 mad crack that's going on with that, I mean, we've seen the first lady Melania Trump almost come out and kind of, you know, slap the wrist of Donald Trump. We've seen all the uh, ex for the, the former first ladies rather come out and kind of release. Their, their side of things and he's done or at least I think just as we're recording this I, I heard he's going to sign an executive order to stop splitting yeah, yeah I mean like if this is going to be pawned off as if he is somehow the hero here and it's what you were saying earlier about this kind of distraction thing and you know 
like it's fascinating over here because like there, there definitely is Trump fatigue. We're definitely kind of like almost sick of hearing about it. But at the same time, it's now got to the point where it's so ridiculous. People are starting to either ignore it or just completely take the piss out of it. And I think that's the danger. So it, absolutely, and that's what's happening here. I think they're just try, they're just almost exhausting everybody. They just exhaust them. Yeah. It's the same thing. Look, when I remember, I remember watching Brexit here with friends. And one of the great things about graduating college and like working in the real world and reading news outside of your own is that you care about what's happening in the world. You have to understand. You, I bet ninety percent of, of people in the United States have no concept of what is happening with anything, let alone can define Brexit. But once it passed, it was like, yeah, Trump can win. This is we, we, the, the world. The world has changed in some dramatic way where we're not paying attention. We are just not paying attention to what can happen. Yeah, it, it, it's it's. What was that twenty? What may we live in interesting times? Is that a Chinese thing, or am I just imagining that? I think it is. I don't know. I'm probably making this up as I go along. To be honest <laughs> with you. Um, <laughs> but um, have you any plans, John, to bring after Auschwitz, um, like an international release at all? Or yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Look, I, it's something I need to do. The, again, you asked about the problem of documentary film. Even though I have distributors working with me, I don't have foreign people which means I, I probably need to reach out to people I know in Poland, people I know in Germany, people I know in London, and try to set up those tent poles and then do it. Um, the curious thing will be if there's a demand for it, if there's interest. I mean, the fact that you guys reached out to me, I, I, you know, it's like I can't imagine there are a lot of Holocaust survivors living around you in Dublin. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think there no. are many. Um, there's one in Kildare. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think there's one I know of because she goes around doing kind of talks in schools and that kind of thing. Um, but but I, 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 Ireland doesn't have a, a large Jewish community in general, you know? No, not at all. So it's so I'm, I'm curious as to who wants to see it. But yeah, I'd love, I'd love to show it more. I showed it, I showed it in Poland, although I wasn't there when it was shown. And I showed it in Rwanda which was fascinating yeah. showing a film about moving on from genocide and trauma and showing it to a room full of genocide orphans. It was fascinating. How did that, that come about? Intense. How did that come about? Um, we were doing a family trip. We were doing a family trip to Africa and I wanted to do something with some meaning with the kids. I've got a 17 and 19 year old and I'd worked a little bit with people who are involved with the Rwandan genocide, the memorial in Kigali. So we said, hey, we're going to be there. I'd love to visit and meet the people. So as soon as I met them, I said, hey, I have this film. If you'd like to show it, I am more than happy to, to come. We'll do a screening, invite whoever you want. So they did. And we had a room of about 30 or 40 you know, young people, 25 to 35 years old. All of them had their parents murdered in the genocide. Jesus. And they're watching a film about what it means to move on from, from this kind of event. And for some of them, I mean, these, these young, strong men were walking out at a certain point in the film. It was too much emotionally for them. It was a really powerful event. Wow. Very, very powerful. Because at this, they're so deep into it, they can't see the pathway out. They can't see that pathway to light. Yeah. They're still so caught up in what happened. Yeah. It was that was, so it's like, I do love going to non-traditional communities and, and, and talking to people. And that's, that that's the most fascinating part of all. So yeah, I'd like to do more traveling. And is there like the, the Rwanda thing fascinates you? Because obviously, you know, Ireland being just kind of almost an isolated little rainy rock in the middle of the Atlantic, we don't particularly tend to 
concern ourselves or, or think too much about those things every day but when somebody says it to you obviously it, it kind of hits you like a truck and i'd never actually yeah the, the idea of them watching that and kind of witnessing their reaction yeah. to it is yeah it's piqued me curiosity well, now well here's what was fascinating about it. there were two things you would think that the physical you know seeing the bodies and this and that would bother them not at all in rwanda in their memorials they have physically have bodies there their idea is if you go to a church where murders happen, where massacres happen, physically clothes will be there, bodies will be there, bones will be there. Because they believe if you do not see the bodies, you do not have witness of the crime. Jesus. For them, the most emotional parts were talking about, you know, your parents never getting to know who you are, never feeling like you have a home. Where is your home? Where do you belong? Where do you feel safe? You know, for these guys... The, most of the people that were that were prosecuted for crimes served 20 to 22 year terms. It's 24 years now. All those people are getting out of jail and they're moving back home and they're moving on with their lives. Wow. So you have neighbor and neighbor living together again. You have murderer and victim living next to one another again. Jesus. As if their lives go on normally. And for the victims, this one young man is like, these people are moving back next to us again. And it feels like we're being murdered for a second time. That's crazy. And your heart, yeah. your heart breaks with that. It's like, I, so what? What can we possibly do to help? Like, it's a 25 year anniversary coming up of the genocide. I'm hoping to work with the museum. I would love to take. They did. They did testimonies 10 years after. I'd like to take all those testimonies, talk to the people again 25 years later, and see if there's a path to healing. See how we can help these people go from that trauma to some kind of healing to understand that there is a path to that there is a path to, to reclaiming life but it's not going to be easy it's a, it's a fascinating it's such a fascinating place plus it's beautiful and yeah. the people are amazing i mean it really is I, I mean i'd never been to africa before it's just an incredible continent it's it sounds like a, nearly identical to the pol pot regime in cambodia in terms oh, so similar in terms exactly. of you're dead on with that exactly the same idea perpetrators living next to victims absolutely like the as well as that with the killing fields and stuff our skeleton remains mm -hmm. are just everywhere as well and you know that, that's how they make their their money on tourism you go to the killing fields and the prisons and stuff like that um yeah. but what is the the when i was in cambodia the mood was kind of like let's we just want to forget about it and nobody, I don't think, was really wanting to talk about it unless you were in the tourist attractions of the Killing Fields and you're doing a, an official tour or if you're in the in the prison. Right. I mean, yeah, like in Rwanda and Kigali, people will come to Kigali and go to the main museum maybe. Maybe they'll go to one or two churches. But that's about it. You know, people aren't curious. There's still people in Rwanda who say that it never happened. It. it Look, any genocide from, I mean, I, I, I'm not a huge student of Armenia, but I know from World War II on, they all learned from each other. I mean, there was a playbook that they followed. It's like Genocide 101. This is what they do. And the same things happened in Rwanda. And then you go to the, you learn the history and you learn about the, the role of the UN and you learn about what we could have done and what we didn't do. And oh, it, it's, a, it's a terrible, I mean, the, the genocide in Rwanda was pretty much created by outside forces. It was outside forces turning people against each other. I mean, it was it was really manipulated, and then a million people were murdered. Yeah, it's, it, it, 
And no one knows about it. No one talks about it. Like, but, it was only 24 years ago, and no one knows anything. But it was in the news a lot at the time, no but it's crazy. Anything. Yeah. It's just not a sexy... It's like, it, it's yeah, it's like, I mean, who knows about Cambodia? Other than we travel there now. It's been enough time that people travel. My wife went there. I've never been. My wife went. But... But it's, it's, it's crazy it's because... Crazy, it's a crazy world. We... We just would rather focus on, you know, hey, let's 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 watch the let's Kardashians. Focus on you know, six, six, six seconds of video and move on. Let's not be real. But it's mad when when you're in Cambodia, you're you're kind of you're you're thinking, God, this was in the seventies. But then you're in your Rwanda and you're going to go going, God, this is in the nineties. You're walking around. And you're seeing you're seeing people carrying these heavy farm tools like these, you know, spades and axes and things. And you're like, did people murder their neighbors with that? Oh my god! That's gosh. what they kill people with. You're looking Jesus. around like, oh my gosh, who who did what? Because first off, there's no old people. There are no old people in this country. They're all gone. Yeah, that's what so like, like. Where where are the old people? They're none. That's, it's crazy yeah. to be beloved where it's so new. And now look at it's it's but it's happening again. It's happening in Sudan. Look what's happening in uh, in Myanmar with the Rohingya. I mean, it's. This is not. It is not just a, a one-off phenomenon. World leaders let it happen, though. I, from what I hear with with what's happening in Myanmar now, because the Rohingya are Muslim, that there is more there is more Muslim support to try to help them. But I mean, this is a woman who who was who was given a Nobel Peace Prize not so not so long ago. Yeah, and is overseeing genocide in her country. I mean, there's some crazy stuff. Now, I think Trump Trump is trying to get his Nobel with North Korea, but maybe Space Force will, will lead him. <laughs> what did you make of the North Korea situation? That's a, that's a tricky one because it's hard to have that conversation without at least discussing human rights. Um, yeah. And we didn't. I, I think Trump, my, my theory with Trump is Trump tries to plump himself up with everything he does. Like when he talks about him, he talks about, Here's this young guy who took over this country, and he's a great negotiator. He, he, he's talking about himself. This is how he sees himself. Mm. He puts himself into everything he does. So when he's talking about Kim, he wants people to say, hey, that's what Trump did. That's what I did. So it's all, everything he does is about him. And it's cr like he's sitting there in a, in a meeting saying, oh, you know, if, I'm, if, if Russia were in the G8, I could sit down with Putin and say, hey, you know, I really need you to get out of Crimea. Could you do that for me? And he would do it. Yeah, that was that bizarre. That came out of his mouth. That, that was came out of his mouth. That was bizarre when he said that. I couldn't believe it. I was like, is this? well, he is delusional. But I mean, when he said that, I was like, he is completely detached from reality. Like, yes, this is this is the leader of our country. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I really try not to laugh because it's so it's so awful. It's not so much if it were just him. Then it would be buffoonery all around. But it's literally the people that are under him, the people that put him into place. They're the truly evil ones, not him. He's a buffoon. Mm. He's a clown. He's an orange-faced clown. But the people working under him who put him in that spot, that's that's the dark side. Well, that's... Uh, and that's uh, you, when you see somebody like uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee? Huckabee? Yeah, yeah, that's her. Huckabee, Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, well, when you... Well, like... I'm watching her and she's just regurgitating this other bullshit and I'm like, how like how does she how does she actually just oh, yeah. face up every day and be like, Yeah, what I'm doing is is, is okay, like it's just it's I, I, I don't know how that woman looks in the mirror. I really don't. I, I, I it is it is 
that that you you're exactly right. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they believe the lie. I don't know how they believe the lie. And if they don't believe the lie, then they are truly evil for for spreading what they're spreading. I don't get it. Well, it I, re- I yeah, I, I suppose to kind of almost bring it kind of full circle. I suppose the question then is, are they able to plead ignorance in the same way that you know? And again, not to say that they're Nazis, but, you know, in the same way right. that, you know, some of the Nazi perpetrators were able to kind of play, yeah. oh, I mean, we were just soldiers doing our job. But are, like, I mean, are these, we were just following, we're following orders. Yeah, are these people going to be able to just say they were following orders if, you know? You can't do that because if someone gives you an immoral order, you don't have to follow it. If someone asks you to do something that is morally re- reprehensible, you don't need to follow it. There, there, There is no... There's no dignity anymore in, look, uh, dignity in politics in America ended about 20 years ago with the Bush-Gore election. It, it, it ended. It's over. So for the past 20 years, it has led to this. This is not an overnight phenomenon where Trump just showed up. This is 20 years in the making. Yeah. And, and now the chickens have come home to roost and we're dealing with it. And it's happening everywhere. I mean, you look at Poland, look at Austria, look at what happened in Italy recently. Look at France. There is a real shift to 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 just rampant nationalism that it, that is taking over the world. Yeah. On that happy note, <laughs> back, to, back to Belgium. <laughs> do you ever do you ever see future kind of uh, subjects or projects with what's going on in the world? Can you say that again? You broke up a little bit. Do you uh, do you ever see kind of what's going on in the world, like say the Mexico border or Brexit or Rwanda and stuff like that? Do you ever see um, future projects that you want to delve into? Oh yeah, there, there's so many projects that I, that I'd love to do. Again, it comes down to you, you need money, you need money, you need time, and you also need somewhere to show it. There are a lot of people that will show contents, but when you make a film, you have to have some idea of where you're going to show the thing so people see it. Right. I mean, just to make something and make it is not too useful. And I love the people that go out and do like real journalism. I'm not a journalist. I'm a history guy. I'm a storyteller, but I'm not a journalist. So when these people go to like go to the border and they start taking pictures and films and doing stuff real time, I mean, I love watching that stuff, but it's not me. I like stuff where there's more breath. I like studying how how these stories link together and tell a bigger story. I'm not great when I don't have time to reflect back on what's going on. That's just me. But I love these people that can do real real time journalism. And how amazing that we can do that now. Yeah. We can go down there and help film it and be on TV like two hours later with real content. It's incredible. You're saying there about you want it's hard for people to watch it, but with with online streaming. Uh, companies now would there be an opportunity say for netflix to 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 carry yeah look there's you've got netflix you have hulu you have itunes there it it's funny like the more the more films you make the more you learn about how how much of a racket this really is (laughs) (laughs) there's no there's no way there's no like one way at the end of the day people just need to find you or you have to get lucky and somebody famous says something about you like if Ellen DeGeneres decides to say something about my movie, people will see it. Yeah. 
That, so, yeah. Ellen, if she's listening, if this is her favorite podcast, you know, hit me up. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, Ellen loves us, man. I've heard, I've heard that Ellen is a huge fan of you guys. Yeah, yeah. She, she can't get in. She, she's playing coy about coming on the podcast, of course. But, yeah, no, she can't get enough, man. She loves it. <laughs> um, John, with, with um, just earlier on you were saying about, you know, naming, putting the word Auschwitz, it was hard probably to market. Yeah. Was there any other alternatives that you could, that you were thinking of calling it? Or did that conversation yeah, come up? Yeah, good, yeah. Yeah, there were no other good titles. I mean, I, I, I thought about it, you know, like through the eyes of a survivor, you know, darkness to light. I hate shit like that. At the end of the day, this film is about what happened after Auschwitz. Let's call it what it is. And you know what? Half the people that hear that title will run away screaming. And other half will be like, oh, Auschwitz, what's that about? So I'd rather have a title that pisses off half the people and interests half the people than a title that 95% of people are indifferent to. Indifference is, is, is being indifferent is the worst thing in trying to get eyeballs to what you're doing. Mm. So if I piss off half the people, I can live with that. I don't need 300 million people to see my film. It'd be nice, but I don't need that. Yeah, I just need people to see it, and I need it in schools. I need it. I, I, I just need as many as, as can. So I can I can afford to lose half my audience. With the um, contributors, uh, the, the ladies say, did, "What did you What did you learn from them? You must have learned a lot from them." Yeah, I, I mean, I I said, and it sounds so glib. I'm a better person for having spent 15 years with them. I really, and maybe I've gotten older and more mature, but <laughs> I I think I'm a better person. I think I understand. I'm more tolerant. I think I have more empathy because of time with them. Um, and I say, like, the lesson I've learned from them is that you don't go through life alone. That all of us at some point will need somebody by our side. And just to know that and accept that, to be there for the other people when they need it, and knowing that they will be there for you when you need it. I mean, we're not alone in this world. Even though sometimes we feel isolated, you are never truly alone in this world unless you put yourself there. So I, I definitely have learned that. And I'm curious as well, you were saying about when you, when you showed it in Rwanda, and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, are letting them see this kind of opportunity to to live a life that they maybe didn't think they could, given what had happened. That element of, of after hours, I suppose, this idea of hope is, is probably one of the, the, the key messages from it. The, the six ladies, you know, obviously, I, I know you said three of them have passed away since, but what was their overriding kind of message in, in the film of hope? I, there was there was one screening where Renee, who just turned 94, an audience member asked Renee, you know, you, you had so many hard times even coming to America after what happened to you. How did you get up every day? How did you deal with it? Which is a great question, something that we think about all the time. Mm. I think about it. And Renee just looked at her and just said, you're alive. Like, you're alive. You know, you, you, you wake up and you have to believe that this day will bring you the things that you hope for in life. It's like, you are alive. And they have this appreciation for that day. We don't wake up every day with appreciation that we've woken up. I wake up some days like, damn it, it's like I have to get up now. It's like, <laughs> my back hurts, my leg hurts, I, I've got to do this, I've got the car is broken. They wake up with an appreciation for the day, for life, for the gift of life. How often do we sit back and appreciate the gift of life that we have? We don't very often. So stuff like that, that's how you thats how you find the hope. That's how you find the hope. And you do something with meaning in your life. You find something that gives you gives your life meaning. 
Yeah, and that's that's a, that's a powerful message to yeah, take you away. Can't you can't know argue that, I mean? especially with survivors of something so horrific. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that, that's why that, I mean, that's why I like hanging around with these ladies. I mean, they, I, like you just you just absorb you absorb this from them because they don't usually just sit down and tell you the secret of life, the meaning of life. Mm. You just observe. You observe how they how they hold themselves. And it was almost like this, like they float a little bit. You know, they were they were murdered seventy years ago. Like they're still here. Yeah, it's a crazy phenomenon. John, did you did you travel yourself to? Have you ever been to Auschwitz or Birkenau or any of the concentration camps? I've been twice now to film. Okay. Um, it's a fascinating. Have you guys ever been to Poland? No, no, I've not. It's it's one of those places that I have that morbid curiosity to go to, but I haven't quite it's built a, up the courage. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fascinating visiting Auschwitz is fascinating because. It's it's oddly beautiful because you have these old stone and brick and wood from the turn of the century. It used to be a Polish army garrison. It's mm. oddly and the light hits it. It's it's weird. The only evil were the people who were there, and the people aren't there anymore. The evil is just in your own mind. It's a it's a benign. The crazy thing is how big it is. You realize how big it is. But it, it's a very bizarre place to visit. Like people say they go there, and they're just so overwhelmed, and it's so powerful, and it's so this. And I'm just really curious why. Like, what is it inside of them that they're responding to? Because the place itself, with the exception of where you go through the exhibits and you see the shoes and the hair and the glass, the place itself is benign. So it's what you bring to it. it it's a really bizarre, bizarre feeling. And I was there pitch black night i was there first thing in the morning with nobody around i mean I, i've been there a lot i know the place fairly well for a visitor it's a very very strange place yeah yeah it's it's one of them, as i said i i, I don't know when, when you put it into that kind of context it, it almost makes it seem easier to go but at the same time i've always kind of said like yeah i'd love to go i'd love to go but then in the back of my head wrestled with kind of like you were saying that connotation that it's an evil place and being like do i really want to go to that though you know I think I think we, we learn so much by walking by walking in the footsteps of history. Mm. You know, I, like when my ladies tell stories. I want to walk. I want to physically see where they were. I want to connect to them. And by me going there, I connect to them. But then you go there and you see these young kids, you know, taking selfies by the gate at Birkenau. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? Jeez. Like, it's like what is what is wrong with our world where we're going there and we're taking selfies? inside of Birkenau. Smiling. Hey, look at me, Birkenau. Yeah. Our world is nuts. It, yeah. So how can anybody understand what the place was? I Yeah, I think um, when you were talking about Jeff Sessions earlier, the, the expression you can't fix stupid came to mind, but I think it also applies to that situation. Like, yeah. you know. It's the Kardashian uh, era that, <laughs> that your country gave us, uh, John. Uh, John. It, it, it's just it. Yeah, it, it is a crazy. No, go ahead. It's a craziness, though. You're right. It's, it's just the society. Uh, we're, we're just about out of time, which is John. But I suppose, tell tell people... We haven't talked about anything fun yet. Come on now. Well, don't, don't worry. We haven't talked about beers. We haven't talked about football. We haven't done anything fun. Well, I, I was going to drop... Holocaust this. Concentration <laughs> camp that. You guys are incredibly tedious and boring. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to drop in a little bit about the World Cup there for you. But neither, no, neither, nation, neither of our nations are in the World Cup. Yeah. I'm just I'm I'm waiting for I'm waiting for the first U.S. game. I, I hear we're coming up. <laughs> we're playing, yeah, aren't we? 
Uh, well, so, I mean, at, at the moment, Spain... You're playing Iran, are you? Yeah, I was going to say, Spain are playing Iran at the moment, and it seems to be a thrilling nil-all draw, okay. from what I can see. So uh, There's been wonderfully numbing football in this tournament. I got to ask you a question. So this is this is a stupid question. Go for it. So in Ireland, who are you cheering for? Oh, You can't cheer for England in Ireland, can you? Uh, no, no, you can't. No, if, if you do, because you're... I can't cheer for Mexico. Yeah. Why can't you cheer for Mexico? Oh my God! Landon Donovan is going. It's like, oh, we should all cheer for Mexico because we need to show solidarity. They're our biggest rival. Please, it's like the amount of times Mexico has knocked American players out. Landon Donovan pissed at Azteca. He went in the corner of Azteca and took a piss. Yeah, right, and they yeah. booed him and thrown things at him for years because of that. Yeah, you can't cheer your biggest rival. It just doesn't happen that I, way. I agree with you, hundred yeah. percent. I just didn't know that the the rivalry was so intense between USA and, and oh, Mexico in, in the oh, football. It's brutal. It's a brutal. It's a brutal, brutal rivalry. It is ugly. There's been some ugliness. Isn't your group? <laughs> isn't your qualifying group set up for you guys to to qualify? But you didn't qualify. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. <laughs> I'm breaking up, a bit, but I can't up. Yeah, yeah. We look, look. It, it's, it's, it's difficult for anybody. Look, I think anybody can understand going to play a really tough Trinidad-Tobago team, yeah. needing only a draw. Yeah. That's a lot to ask of a major superpower like America. <laughs> so I think we can understand not qualifying. Yeah, in fairness, I mean, you know, nobody really stood a chance against the powerhouse of Panama, did they, you know? That's a tremendous squad. Yeah. That's a tremendous squad. <laughs> that, the Hondurans, Costa Rica. Oh my, it, it, it's ridiculous. And you got the only, the only, the only joy I will have is when England flames out in some spectacular fashion, yeah. Yeah. which we know is going to happen. Yeah, my only joy. And then we can talk about Bobby Charlton. <laughs> after perform after their performance the other night, that's bound to happen. Yeah. Um. Yourselves, Mexico and Canada are going to host the World Cup in 2026. Yeah, and supposedly Trump had to write letters to FIFA that assuring them that all teams and participants would be allowed into the country, <laughs> that there would be no problem. <laughs> supposedly he wrote multiple letters assuring FIFA that there would be no countries kept out of the tournament. <laughs> you arrogant prick, you motherfucker. You really think you will have any anything to say in 2026? Hopefully you will have been dead for years. <laughs> oh, uh, he's yeah, so stressful. He's, he uh look, he's he's a ridiculous. Long live the king. Long live King Trump. What what do you think of his feud with the NFL? Oh, yeah. It, look, I'm from Philadelphia originally. We won the Super Bowl and he started going after my hometown team and they were so stupid about it. The, I mean, the, the example I'll say is like they were going around trying to show that these fans weren't real fans. Like, the Philadelphia people don't love their team. So they were asking people, who was the quarterback in the game? And they said, no one knew the answer. I'm like, you're so full of shit. Because you go through any street in Philadelphia. I have a picture of Nick Foles dressed as Jesus carrying the Super Bowl trophy. It's like, we all know. For the same reason we know who Bobby Charlton is. It's like, we know. This whole thing. And the whole idea, like, putting... You look at him during the national anthem. He doesn't know the goddamn words to the song. He doesn't know the words. Like if there's ever been emperor wearing no clothes, although the visual of our emperor wearing no clothes disgusts me, yeah. and now I'll never eat again. But it's it's ridiculous what a hypocrite and clown this man is. You, you've managed somehow through a Skype call to trigger my gag reflex with that. So thanks for that, man. Appreciate that. But you're a visual as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there was somebody. There's one artist who did that. He created. He created life-size Trump nude things, 
with like little tiny tiny penises. <laughs> they were so funny. I think I've seen that. Look it up. Look up like naked Trump statues in America with small dicks. <laughs> it was brilliant. I think I did see that. Do you think there's a chance that um, The Rock will be the uh, president? Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Right. He'd get more yeah, yeah, Sure, yeah, why not? Maybe I'll be president. You guys want to? You guys can come over. We'll hang out together at the White House. <laughs> yeah. No, just give up entirely. But it, it is. It does make a mockery of it when you know people judge. Do you think you guys would maybe come back over and take over? I mean, can we talk to somebody in England to come back over and sort of like take over again? Well, I don't. Is I don't know possible? if you'd want that to be honest. I mean, Theresa May is you know essentially yeah. a boiled cabbage. Um, <laughs> she, like, so. Uh, hey. You know, boiled boiled cabbage is the food of my people, so you know. Yeah, I yeah, my my girlfriend's Russian actually. I eat a lot of boiled cabbage, so I probably shouldn't. You know, yeah, she's gonna hear this and give out to me now. That's what's gonna happen. Actually, speaking of Russia, they're probably gonna win this World Cup because yeah. they're because they're you know, juiced up to their eyeballs. And and Trump is probably going to celebrate that. He'll have a parade through Times Square and he'll welcome the Russian team to the White House, and you know, it'll be a lovely international event. I, you know, it's, it's the funny. The funny thing is, if that actually were to happen, nobody would pay attention in America. There's no one watching the World Cup in America. It's like me, the people I play soccer with are watching. I'll go to the King's Head. I'll watch a game with a cock and bull, and I'll watch a game because it's fun. We'll go at five a.m. and drink beer. No one's watching. Forty percent of America voted for Trump. You think they know who? who like. De Bruyne is for anybody else. Please. Do you follow a team in England, oh. uh, John? What? Do you follow a team in the England Premier League in the English? You no, know, I, I am. I am. I, I do, and I'm very happy to say that they've they finally made it back up. I'm a Fulham fan because Fulham, for the longest time, was the first team to have Americans playing on them, playing on it. Really? Ah. So I've always been a Fulham fan. And going to Cra- I went to Craven Cottage a few years ago. It was so. I had, I had a blast. Uh, like for me, that was like a dream. Did you get your photo taken so, with, with, with the Michael Jackson statue? The which one? The, there's a statue of Michael Jackson at Craven Cottage. They took it down. Did they? Yeah. Oh. I did that. Yeah. That's kind of in bad taste, wouldn't you think? The the owner, um, Muhammad Al Fayed, when he was the owner, he had a statue erected of Michael Jackson, and nobody knew why. Yeah. It's bizarre. I, like. I think he was the same guy that had the house in Beverly Hills that had statues with pubic hair painted on it. <laughs> No, I didn't make that up. I did not. I did not say that for comic effect. Yeah. I'm speaking factually now. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, well, then, uh, just, we will never have American guests again. No, we're going to book you every week, John. That's what's going to happen now. <laughs> we had Michael Graham on, John. Yeah, we had Michael Graham on a while ago. That was that was a uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy. To, I'm happy to be your go-to American whenever you need some <laughs> healthy cynicism and hope. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, you've you've jumped Michael Graham on the list. That's for definite. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm not even sure. I mean, is Michael Graham even big in America? I don't actually know. Like, no. no. <laughs> you know what's big? I mean, look, I mean, come on. Kim Kardashian just had a meeting with the president and got a woman released from jail. That's the world I live in. Yeah, we're we're all living in a simulation, man. That's that's what's going on here. Like. It could be. Maybe it is the Matrix. Maybe one day we'll wake up and Keanu Reeves will save us all. That, yeah. that you know what? I'd be all, If it was Bill and Ted, Keanu Reeves, I'd be all right with that. Oh, my Lord. Aren't they making a sequel to that? Someone yes. told me. Yeah. Yes, they are. <laughs> that, let's hope. They're doing Top Gun. They're doing the Top Gun sequel. 
Are they? Bill and Ted. Yeah. Like, you see, there's hope for the world. Yeah. Man, there's hope for the world. That is a positive way to, to, to end this shenanigans. But before we do, who's going to win? The, who's going to win the World Cup? Belgium. Belgium. Wow. Belgium. Okay. A bunch of waffle eating diamond cutters. They're going to win. <laughs> I was playing tennis with a guy from Belgium the other day. I, was, I kept doing that to him. Everybody about to hit. Diamond cutter. <laughs> brilliant, man. Brilliant. John, uh, I really, really enjoyed this. So thanks very much for your time, Thanks man. so much, John. Um, just if, if people... no, I, you know, when, I, when I get something set up in Ireland, the first call I make will be to you guys. We'll love, love it, love it. it. And we'll, we'll, get it we'll get it there. We'll get it there. We'll bring you on, on the piss and you can have all the beer you want. We'll have a bit of crack with that. Um, if in the meantime, if people want to learn more about the project and the documentary and whatnot, where can they go and where can they find info on it? Best place is coming to our website, which is uh, afterauschwitz.com. And on there, you can join a mailing list. You can get updates. The DVD will be available probably in October or November. Streaming will be available in October or November. Or go to the website now and you can watch Swimming in Auschwitz for free. I have it on the website now for free digitally. So go check it out. Learn some stuff. And then get on the mailing list, and I'll let you know when it comes out. Brilliant! brilliant. Thank you so much, John. And John, John, do you do you do social media yourself, or do, like can people follow you? Or I do. You know, we've got we've got our Facebook account, uh, we've got our our Instagram account, uh, Twitter. We're very bad at, <laughs> but if you go to the website, you can you can just click on our, our Facebook link, our, our our Twitter link, our Instagram link, and get all kind of updates. We're going to do some fun stuff this summer. We're going to do a lot of outreach this summer with families of survivors and having people tell their own stories. It'll be interesting. So if people do want more info, yeah, do follow us. Brilliant. Brilliant, Brilliant man. Look, again, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you guys are the best. I totally appreciate it. Great talking with you. Thanks, John. Take care, John. If Belgium wins, you will call me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because, 100%. like... It went everywhere, yeah. didn't it? It did, and I, did, I didn't expect it to go in all those different places, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. When you're covering on a topic like Auschwitz, you almost expect it to be kind of, you know, dark, drab, dark, dreary, and you know what I mean. But as you see, straight away, he was injecting a bit of humor in there, a and great not, sense not, of humor, not yeah. in a way that's insensitive, not at all. But he's he's highlighting, and as he said himself, like the six of the the ladies who feature in both documentaries. Th- their key message was hope yeah. and they're talking about laughter in Auschwitz and they're talking about these things like, just bizarre wasn't it you know and I'm gonna have to definitely <laughs> watch this documentary I didn't get time to before the, the interview but yeah. I definitely will yeah and he, I mean I never actually got to say to him just because the way like we don't use notes we don't do any of that crack we we just have a chat like yeah and I was trying to recall stuff from memory from watching it but I mean even even the title Swimming at Auschwitz for the first one comes from one of the ladies she was a kid when she was there and she was talking about like it was the middle of summer and the heat and they were walking by a guard's house in this scorching heat as they were going to do their labour for the day or whatever and this guard had a swimming pool in his house at Auschwitz and she just decided you know what I'm going to cool off and she just jumped in the pool and like that could have been a death sentence for mm, her absolutely yeah now, she swam across the pool got out the other side and kept walking and didn't get shot didn't like somehow whatever luck was on her side on that day in a bizarre kind of way like yeah. looking Auschwitz but yeah you know and like, that's where the whole thing and it's I definitely like to have John on again as a, as our American go-to guy definitely I think can you imagine John as our American version of Gary Mackle yeah 
That would be spectacular. <laughs> like, yeah. You should get Gary in with John. <laughs> Do you know what? If John ever comes to Ireland, yeah. that is definitely a, a podcast I'd love to set up. John's best joke. I know he was quite humorous and such he a... He was very good. Uh, ...sensitive, somewhat subject. Mm. His best joke was that Belgium are going to win the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God bless him. God bless him. Yeah, they'll definitely knock England out. Yes. Well, no, not knock them out, but they'll definitely be England, which will... They'll make shite of England. Yeah. Um, right. You know, but anyway, yeah, look, we hope you enjoyed that, lads. And do check out afteroutwits.com. Um, Tweet and us and let us know. Let us know what you think of uh, all that crack and just... Yeah, it's one of them. It's it's a really powerful story. Um, and it's obviously one of those things, as we were saying kind of in the intro, that history can repeat itself in in weird ways as we and, were talking about in the and interview obviously we were talking with john as well and like the more you kind of peel back the curtain on certain things the more you kind of go there are absolute bizarre and disgusting parallels to all this yeah especially uh, closer to home with direct provision which we'll talk about probably in more detail in future definitely I actually do because yeah. we need to educate ourselves on that as as everyone yeah because their media don't seem to be talking about that as much as they should um i was at, just briefly i was at yeah. a docky about the docky book festival last week and this direct provision came up um a speaker on the floor asked a question um about you know direct provision and basically it was said by one of the speakers that this is our magdalene laundries this is yeah. our catholic church you know we need this is going on we know what's going on Back in the Magdalene Laundries days and the Catholic Church days, nobody asked questions. Mm. But everyone should be asking questions about direct provision because yeah. it shouldn't be happening. Yeah, like I and have the, to, and like, the government are just pulling a blind eye to it. These refugees living in Mosny and yeah. they're living on twenty euro a week. They're told when they can go out. They're told what they can do recreationally. Imagine living like that. Yes, yeah, we're complicit in their countries being in tatters as well yeah because we're not neutral and we're supporting these things mm. so to not provide them with adequate living facilities is ridiculous yeah and look the direct reason is one that i think um and i'll hold my hands up to it as well i'm aware of it but i'm completely ignorant to it at the yeah. same time and i think a lot of people have that they've definitely heard direct provision and they might have a, they just don't know what it is i was gonna say you have a vague understanding of it mm. but you don't actually know and and i hold my hands up and say that as well like i've very vague and it's because one you don't hear enough about it in terms of media and two i haven't bothered me how to educate myself yeah. because i'm ignorant Do you know there's what not I mean? enough out there to educate yourself though so um but we'll, yeah. we might talk about that in the future episode. i think so yeah i think it could be a good one but uh, in the meantime yeah look yeah. We, we really hope you enjoyed this week's guest john Keane, after outwits.com uh check out swimming at outwits for free and join the mailing list so you can find out more about after outwits but um until next oh, oh Jesus. Jesus outro outro Danny <coughs> <coughs> Mero tell the fine people where we came from this week came from the beautiful metropolis of East Ballybrack Fitzpatrick's yeah. Castle Hotel Colony indeed we did you can listen to us on WTSpod.com you can check us out on Facebook facebook.com forward slash WTSpod Ireland you can check us out on Twitter at WTSpod and you can check us out on any podcast provider by just searching WTS Pod. Mahambogo. Yeehoo! Until next time. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Hap. Loose. Too sweet. Look. <laughs> <laughs>